Hi, I'm Faye Salvin from The Big Life Group. Welcome to the Anon podcast from The Big Issue North. It's about the people we meet and the struggles they face. It's about their everyday stories that are little heard and little understood. Often people are vilified and laughed at by the media who delight in producing programmes that portray them as ignorant or as victims. In a time when hate crime is on the rise, we want to champion people who have the least. Help us to turn the tide, listen to their stories, understand and help us to change the world. My name's Darren Stockton and I work for Waves of Hope. Darren works for Waves of Hope and Waves of Hope works with people who have multiple complex needs. We have to have a mental health issue, being through the criminal justice system, homelessness or drug and alcohol issue. And to get onto Waves of Hope you've got to have three of the four. So it's people who generally hard to reach people, people who might fell through the gaps. Darren hasn't always been a support worker. For the first 32 years of his life, he was the one that needed support. I brought up in the care system. Well, in the care system, I also fleeted from being in the care system to going back home. In the care system, went back home, I was about 14. That didn't work out, moving to my uncles at 16. Eventually, you burn all your bridges, so I ended up in hostels. My first hostel ended up was at 18. The Salvation Army, old swan. I always remember the first time, because I got kicked out for not getting them when the fire alarm went off. I knew it was a test, so I didn't get up, but I still got kicked out for it. After that, I didn't go in hostels for a few years, but I had a lot of really poor accommodation. You wouldn't put animals in it, but um, these are the places I had to live in at the time. In 92, I moved to Blackpool for t- just nearly under two years, trying to get away from it all. I, um, I was into petty crime, robbing cars, shoplifting, whatever, do you know what I mean? And, um, so I moved to Blackpool for a couple of years. Basically done the same thing there, different address, do you know what I mean? So lived in bed and breakfast there. Come back to Liverpool when I was about 24, and in a matter of days I was smoking crack. <laughs> I moved into this accommodation, my mates um, got a house, so we all lived there for a while. That lasted about six months. So I ended up in another hostel there where I was introduced to heroin, which would take over my life for the next 12 years. When you get into the hostel system, it's difficult to get out. I was in this hostel in Heighton. I was anti-smack, you would say, heroin. I used to wonder why people are all happy in here all day. And I realised because they were all stoned all the time, wasn't it? So eventually you just end up having some. And next thing you wake up one morning, you're withdrawing. You don't even realise you're withdrawing. And then you carry on. When we first withdrew off heroin, I thought I'd never go back on it, but end up in another accommodation port and ended up using it again. And then from there, I started mixing with more and more people using heroin. At, at the time, I'd been like a silo on my own just using, so there was no outside influence for me. But this time, I started getting hanging around more people that were using. And then eventually, you burn all your bridges with accommodation. So I think it was about 1999, I was in this squat, it just come on top with everyone in the squad, so we all end up starting sleeping rough in town. I'd really slept rough when I was a child because I'd absconded from children's homes, so I'd slept rough. I'd lived in a tent in my mate's backyard when I was on my toes from my kid's home. Sleeping rough, it's mad because you, you get used to it. You just adapt. Heroin nearly killed Darren. I ended up having open heart surgery, so I nearly done a good job killing myself. I had kidney failure. Septicemia, pneumonia, I had a lot of different things go wrong in my body because of it. Ended up getting a, in 2004, my aortic valve replaced because of the damage they'd done to me. Well, I went to the hospital 
I was lying there, and the next thing this nurse comes over, checks me blood pressure, and the next thing I'm rushed through. I thought he had pneumonia because I couldn't breathe, but actually the valve damaged my heart, so the blood's going back into my heart, making it bigger, so pushing on your lungs so you can't breathe. And at the time, I was still using, even in the Royal, because I wasn't aware of what's going on. But then I went to Broad Green, and the way it works in the Liverpool is you get referred to Chester Heart Hospital, and you get back to the hospital that referred you, which had been the Liverpool Royal. Now, Liverpool Royal was very much, a lot of people there using heroin, so it was not hard to get drugs in the Royal. Very easy. Dealers would come outside. It, it's in a city hospital, isn't it? So a lot of people in there are the same as you, got inflicted illnesses and that. Dealers at the hospital gate. What chance did he have? This student nurse arranged me to stay to recover in this hospital in Borough Green. So that was a major set for me. And then they kept me in there till I got accommodation. Everyone I know who's had the operation is actually dead. If they carry on using it, I didn't want to die. This, this was my way out. It's not nice coming off. Withdrawing, but I use Subutex, so the withdrawals aren't as bad as what you normally get. If you do cold turkeys in some places, it's hell. Getting off is not the hard part, it's what comes after it. Because for all your energies are just so much in getting heroin. Your day is just wrapped around and getting heroin or crack cocaine, whatever it is. That when that finishes, there's got to be something else to fill the purpose. Because getting clean, but then you're left with this empty void, what do you do? Darren did stay clean this time. Why? Incentive. I also met my wife there, she worked there at the time. So one of the cleaners told me that a girl liked me there. She's a um, hostess, so they just give the meals out and that. I bottled it, asking her out. So uh, I thought it's gone. And then one Saturday before I was gone, she left a note on my desk. And then I waited a couple of weeks to phone her because I didn't know if I was going to stay clean. I've been in relationships, got clean before, got relationships, and then just end up going back on the gear. And they end up thinking, why have you finished with me? So I phoned her after a couple of weeks, and then we got together, and we've been together since. And it's just good to some things, isn't it? My brother got me accommodation through a mate who had flats. It was not on, it was a decent flat, just had nothing in. So I was like building up again. This, it wasn't poor accommodation this time, it was all right accommodation. When you first come out, you're very hypochondriac because you just worry about, you've been in the hospital for so long, you've been on so many antibiotics that you don't think you would in case something goes wrong. So, and he had good, a couple of good mates around me as well who's come and see me in hospital. I started liking the luxury things of life not having to chase something every day. I went to them um, trying to re-educate myself. So, creative writing, computers, maths, English. Just developing more skills for myself. Then tried to start looking for some voluntary work after a while. Because I've never worked in all my life, do you know what I mean? I was, I'd just gone through some childhood just taking one drug or another. There was cannabis or that, so there was never, no work pattern. My work at the independence told me about this, program they used to do in Liverpool called The Fixers and it was um, people who were socially excluded and you could do a 10 month training program, get paid but then learn the skills to be a community drug worker or whatever your placement was and replacement was the big issue. As he recovered from his op, Darren found work with a big issue in Liverpool, working with the very people he'd previously slept rough with and got high with. At first it was very difficult because a lot of people had used it. It was very difficult. Suddenly you're the other side to them, it was very challenging. Do you know what I mean? Because I'd used with them, I'd slept rough with them. I'm the same person, just doing a different thing. You just, you just don't change automatically. You don't suddenly become a new, different person. I'm still the same person. I just don't choose to use drugs. I always remember this story. It was in the hostel in Birkenhead. The hostel was free to stay in, but you had to put 20 quid a week away to save up for your accommodation, which you think, well, it's a really great idea, right? 
I was doing person that never ever had to put money away because when I spoke down my key worker, I basically said, Look, I use heroin, I don't want to save money. And she starts going, Oh, you got to. I said, But I don't, I won't sell the issue, I don't kill anyone or rob anyone, I don't go and break hearts just to get me happy. And so she stopped me having to um, put money away because just being honest with her, I just don't use drugs anymore, it doesn't still mean that I'm not a good person or was a good person then, even. John was a street vendor at the same time as Darren. Johnny's still a big issue vendor. If it weren't for the big issue, really, I don't know where I'd have been, to be totally honest with you, because I think, to be honest with you, I'd have been in prison because crime was really all I knew, and I'm a bad shoplifter, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, I've been to prison for it a few times, too many times, to be honest with you. I got into drugs and stuff like that, being on the streets. Being in so many lows, um, it's just the only escape that I knew. I smoked a lot of cannabis when I was younger, and like always, it leads up to harder stuff. And I went in and out of rehabs and detox centres, and it didn't work for me. My partner of 18 and a half years, I lost two years ago. Um, it would really miss big time. She, uh, she was all I knew, really. You know, wherever I was, she was 10 yards behind, if not beside me, or vice versa. Um, Sharon, her name was. I hold her close to my heart. We've got a son, John, JJ, John Jr. Um, he'll be fifth, nearly 16 now. Um, I haven't seen him for some time, but I hope to get in contact pretty soon with him. I've got things in order and plan what I want to do. I really went a bit to a really point of a low when I lost Sharon because she was all I knew, so I was lost, to be honest with you. I, was, I didn't know what to do. But now having friends around me, proper friends, drug-free friends and, and stuff like that, uh, there's, a, there's more positives around me than negatives and I distance myself from the negatives as much as I can. Um, I just come down here and sell me magazine and I do what I have to do and then I go. I don't hang around for unwanted like or unneeded um, unnecessary things to be doing or like, like that because there's a lot of bad influences around you and uh, you know depending on how you're feeling it is hard to say no and stuff like that so I try my best to just come down here and get straight off and I've been um, only this morning one of my customers is a manager of the Shankly Hotel he didn't know I was a painter and decorator which I am and he said to me would the light work in the hotel he's just gonna have a word with his, his boss and so I give him my phone number and hopefully he's gonna get in contact with me in a few weeks time so that's another door open for me if you're passing Marks and Spencer in Liverpool spend some time with Les maybe get him a coffee tell him we sent you well I'm originally from over the water I was brought up in Cairn, never had went to school in that, what's the name? And I ended up coming over here when I was about 17, 18. Me and the missus, my partner, both of us were, were bad um, chaotic drug users and alcohol and all that. At the time I was doing crack and everyone, mixing them together, doing speedballs, but then I went off the needles and just started smoking. I had Dan as a support worker, he helped me, took me, when I went for the flat and that, he come along with me to, to see the sound, and I've been in it since. I think it was more, very loud, <laughs> very chaotic. Chaotic. There'll be some kind of issue going on. 
I think it's about building trust with someone first. You can't just expect someone to want to work with you or help you out. And you've got to work out what they want to do, haven't you? Yeah. I think you've got to do basic needs, haven't you? No one's going to actually go forward unless they've got accommodation or certain stuff. If you're on the streets, you're not going to want to try and sort anything out. Everyone's lifestyle's different to others, do you know what I mean? Mine might be different to his. Mine might be different to another person's, do you know what I mean? It's, it's how you're getting on and, as you said, building relations up with people and that. Tell us about Everton. Oh, I don't even want to talk about it at the moment. We're playing shite. Got, got more chance of getting bit by a giraffe. Spent £140 million on shite. I went on the radio to the day about it. I had to bleep loads of me swearing out. <laughs> Because I was fuming that much. Ten years on, and Dallin's working with a groundbreaking project that helps people with similar issues to the ones he's had to deal with. It's given him the understanding that before you can recover, you need help to survive. I'm a service user coordinator for Waves of Hope. There's £10 million coming to the city, and there's 12 cities in the country that have also got access to similar amounts of money. So the idea is that they're all test and learn projects, so where you can work with people in a different way for better outcomes. Just you could get it wrong, but as long as you've got learning from it, we'll never do that again. So the idea is that service users at the heart of it all. And give people success stories. There's a a woman that I need to work with. Work with. She, alcoholic. I don't say alcoholic, I say more binge drinker. But it was having a knock-on effect for the rest of her family. So the two workers work in tandem and they're every day at the same time, consistently. So every day they this woman knew that they'd be there to see her. And this one was a prolific 999 caller. So you can imagine if you go down to financial cost, that's a lot of money. So by them turning up all the time and being consistent there, they, she knew that she didn't need to phone 99 no more. She could phone them and they'd be there. So they went in, they'd done basic things like tidy the house, clean the house out for her. They literally did whatever she needed. And then with a bit of more help, they helped to get the right benefits. She deserved what she should be on, whatever she's entitled to and all that, do you know what I mean? And now she doesn't phone that no more. There's always going to be homeless people on the streets, like her or not, because people have to look to someone and go, you don't end up like that. The idea of eradicating homelessness is just complete wrong, because I don't think that's possible, because people... Cho- I chose to sleep rough, not going on hostels. Do you know what I mean? I chose to sleep rough. One, you have to go by rules and hostels. Mm-hmm. Two, all my money I could make was in the city centre. So I commute to work when you can just live in it. But you think you need to ask the people themselves what do they want? Hopefully things are changing because we have a night shelter open now 365 days a year in this city now for anyone to access. So that's the right standard, not cold weather shelters, but people open all the time. Um, we need to look at better accommodation for people, the right accommodation for people, because a lot of people st- still won't go on hostels because of that, or the night shelter because they feel vulnerable. There's still like 16 people you'll see walking in town Every morning you walk around, see the tents everywhere. So they're not accessing these serves. So you need to ask them what they want. We have an urge to always want to fix people and move people forward. Is that suit moving people a little bit forward might be enough for them? They might want no more. I wish everyone would get clean up, but some people might never ever get that way. They can still have decent accommodation with the right support in place. Mental health services, I think, is the one that's lacking. Access to mental health services, people who use drugs or alcohol is pretty hard to get because they say that it's the alcohol, it's the drugs, and it could well be, but unless we have the discussion, are we getting to work together better? We're still got a problem people on the streets. Life on the street is hard. Why would anyone choose it? But it is a choice, sort of. Ask Karen. 
Hi, uh, my name's Karen Humphrey. I grew up in a all right family at first. Well, I assumed it was. I had a mum and dad, lived down in Southampton. Both parents worked. My mum was more a drinker. That's what I seen a lot of as a kid. Uh, she was the fighter with my dad. My dad was the soft one, mum was the hard one sort of thing. So I've seen a lot of upset, but as I got older, I learned that my dad was a player on towards my mum, and so was my mum with my dad. With that, I was uh, daddy's girl, so I was very close to my dad everywhere my dad went, I was. So from the age of 12, 13, um, mum and dad split up. It was quite a nasty breakup, so we seen a lot of stuff. Where I'd seen my mum actually stab my dad in the neck. All I ever wanted to do was live with my dad. I wasn't close with my mum and that didn't happen. So I ended up going into care, so I grew up in care. I never got to know who Karen was. I just kind of like followed my parents' beliefs, basically. I was copying my mum, maybe with the drinking. My first drink was from the age of 14. You don't trust anyone, you know. I wouldn't listen to anyone, even when I was in care. All I wanted was my mum and dad. Just wanted them back together and that wasn't going to happen, but you don't believe that in yourself. Because you're insecure and you've got low self-esteem, low confidence, you don't know how to handle that, so you fight against it. I acted out a lot when I was a kid. Even in school, I acted out as well, you know. Um, I wouldn't go to my lessons. I didn't think I was clever enough to learn because even growing up, my mum used to always say, like, perceived me as being thick or say stupid comments when I was younger. So you, you kind of like grain that into your brain so you're not like, you believe in it. So when you go into a classroom and you're, you're trying to learn, you don't think you can do it. So I didn't think I could do it. I took overdoses as well at the age of 13. Um, I think it's all cry for help at that age. I ran away when I was in care, got in trouble in school. Later on in life, I ended up meeting my children's father at the age of 16. So going into that relationship, I was still vulnerable then. Um, I didn't know about how to love anyone because I wasn't getting it from my parents, so I wasn't able to show it to them, even though I thought I was. So I'm craving that love. So I think I got into that relationship is looking for that father figure, basically. And I think that's the way my life was at that time. So even through that, he was the one who made the rules, the decisions and all that kind of stuff in the relationship. Ended up having four beautiful kids and they're amazing, you know, I'm dead proud. With that relationship, he was a player himself. So he was kind of like my dad in a way. So, you know, I figured stuff out now. He ran off with another woman in the end. So he left me to deal with four children. And because I was so insecure and vulnerable, I didn't know how. And I think if I'd have knew how to build myself still my confidence, maybe I would have handled that relationship differently. But it's a learning curve, so you learn. The kid's dad introduced me to my first, introduced me into the weed, um, introduced me into pills, but then it was down to me by using it because that was my own fault. But I ended up losing my children. I was going through a court case at the same time as well with um, the children's dad, where it looked like I could have gone to jail. Yeah, I had to deal with the whole court case through that, as well as the breakup with him, as well as looking like I was going to go to jail. And then I lost my children, and then it just, the drink just got worse. Um, I drank more, I took another overdose. Luckily, I didn't go to jail. I had to do community service, which I did, and they took me on assistant manager in the charity shop then. So, you know, it's... I didn't see myself as, as a bad person, even though I did what I did was wrong. I learned by that, and I'm still learning by that today, actually. They took my kids, and I found that hard. 
sitting in the house, I thought kids running around all the time, the noise and everything, and then you're stuck in the house and you've got no support, you've got your family's not helping you, and it was hard, you know, in the house on your own and there's no kids running around, it's quiet. So I'd find myself, I'd be in a pub at 10 o'clock in the morning. Because I, I wasn't focal then, I couldn't, like, go up to someone and speak to them. So I'd drink myself stupid, I'd sit in the pub and drink to give me the confidence just to even speak to someone. Eventually, it wasn't going to get any better, so I decided to move away from the area I was in and I moved into Liverpool. They put me into a hostel and I thought, instead of going forward, I ended up going down because I was still vulnerable, because I wasn't built that self-esteem or confidence or had the right support around me at that time. So I kind of went downhill. I ended up getting into another relationship. He was chronic alcoholic, so... My drinking escalated even more then. There was a lot of violence in that relationship too. Between both, we both became volatile in the end. Um, I ended up out on the street um, with him. I'd drink more just to keep warm. And that's what you had to do outside because it was, you would get mixed up in that. And, it, you know, I was quite lucky. I had him, he kept me safe from a lot of things, even though he was doing a lot of damage to me. He kept me safe in a lot of ways. Not a good place to be out on them streets. I was working in the biggest office and she came in with her partner at the time and got badged up. She was in a very volatile relationship. You put people with, with alcohol and rough sleeping all that kind of stuff into any kind of leash. It's not going to survive on the streets. You've got enough battles of your own, haven't you? You put people together with drink. Yeah, doesn't work. I don't know, I always got on with you, haven't I? Even from, you know, when I used to go into the office, because even though I was in kind of like that, that chaotic lifestyle, I always see myself something better for myself. I think people did see more than that than what than just that life she was leaving, I'm being honest. The more I think back on what she just mentioned that, I think people did see more than that. I'm not saying that you, that you see, you got to see good in everyone. I don't mm. see any good in it, and I believe everyone can do it. But I think when you see Karen, you'd hope that she could take what she has. But you can't help you, you fall in love with sometimes, and relationships can be just as damaging as, yeah. as, as they can be so good as well. Mm. I became that um, rescuer in that relationship, and I shouldn't have been. Um, so I was always seeing good in him, even though I should be seeing good in myself. But I was always looking good in other people than looking at my own self. So, you know, that's why I kind of, like, stayed and stuck with that relationship, I think. It's just yeah. avoidance issues. You can do avoidance yeah. issues on anything, can't you? Definitely. I got her to go for the job ages ago. I was working at the big issue, anyway. Volunteering, wasn't it? Then she got paid work through it. Yeah. And I've been here ever since. So eventually, I did get a place of my own. The violence got worse, though, with us both having a place together. And my head kept getting split open all the time. And I needed to stop because my kids were going to lose a mum and one of us were going to end up dead. So I got in touch with my probation officer and my probation officer recommended me to a women's centre. And that's where I went and that's where I started. And I started to build up my self-esteem, my confidence. Even though I was in that women's centre, I was still dipping into town. It took a while to actually come away from town. But you just slowly do it to break it into change your life and change your habit. Do my English and my maths. Did the Freedom Programme twice around domestic violence. I think it made me the person I am today. I don't look at it as it is a bad thing. I believe I had to go into that to make me this strong, independent woman that I am today. And yeah, it's amazing. 
Scored hard. I've got three kids now, so it's hard. <laughs> three young children, outnumbered to death, so it's hard. But the choices aren't, you know. At one time, I didn't have no choices. Because you don't think, when you're out there, you don't think you've got choices. I go back to when I first started, and yes, it was good because people knew how bad I was, and I was really bad. Do you know what I mean? I know you might look at me off it, but I was really bad. I was a bad heroin user, proper, 24-7, as bad as them all, as anyone, do you know what I mean? So they know that they can do it. It might be different, different way they do it, or... Things fell into place, and a lot of it's luck. A lot of it's luck. The Anon podcast is produced by The Big Life Group, a social enterprise based in the north of England. Our mission is to help people who have the least. We start where they're at and help them to get to where they want to be. If you want to help us change the world, then here's what to do. Share our podcast. Get other people to listen to our stories. Or suggest other stories we should cover. Benoni Corporate are proud to sponsor the Anon podcast, putting the spotlight on real people in the north. Pannoni Corporate acts for a number of large private sector organisations and supports many charities and not-for-profit organisations with all their legal needs from commercial contracts to employment law. To find out more, visit pannonicorporate.com. I'm Alan Bezik. The producer was John Ryan, and this podcast was a 2ZY production for the Big Life Company.